questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. This interview is based on a true story that aims to reveal the great sinister plot behind every medication applied to every patient. We will expose the business-oriented medical and pharmaceutical business intending to generate huge profits rather than prioritizing cures for patients. The medical system has led to an ongoing mafia system throughout the Western world and has led to the few who get cured and the many who get destroyed by the legal medical system and some who even die from it, which is very much like how a mortgage system to property development works. The few at the top gain everything while the many at the bottom pay the price for it by taking the risks of being drugged and experimented with while being told it's the healthcare system. It's to show how far someone today must go to be cured and when more people need to demand cures than just accept the system of healthcare when they're the consumers of this system, keeping the majority of those in it employed. With an aging population now growing around the world, this industry has become the biggest industry in the world and has created a cancer in itself by profiting off sickness rather than curing it, which needs to become terminal cancer to the medical mafia to stop them causing forms of warfare on people's health, which they have gotten away with for decades and force them to cure, not treat symptoms. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Eddie Powell is a geopolitical researcher, artist, pharmaceutical whistleblower, and survivor, global traveler, and truth seeker, with the goal of finding alternatives to mainstream politics and mainstream living. He says... If everyone keeps following the same systems of mainstream globalism, with the few getting richer and the many who keep getting poorer, the world becomes worse, and democracy fades away while communism grows. Like globalism, the world will become a much worse place for all while being run by the few, because the many know no other way to live than to follow the mainstream systems forevermore. He has authored many books, and the latest is titled Medical Mafia to Modern Marks. His website is eddiepowellbooks.com. And directly from outside Cork City, Ireland, I would like to welcome Eddie Powell. Hello, Eddie, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, how things? The name of the book is Medical Mafia to Modern Marks. So why don't you just explain why the connection between the medical mafia and Marx, and I presume you mean Marxism or communism, right? Marxism, yeah. <laughs> well, the medical system is a, is a communist system if you look deep into it, and then you get Marxism, which is globalism. So I know the medical system is the top of the pyramid around, with the World Health Organization, which are trying to create this global health system. So, 
they're all interlinked. Okay, so let's begin with your story. If I remember correctly from reading your book, you were born in 1980, correct? Uh, 1981, yeah. 81, in a very devout Catholic country, uh, Ireland, of course, we know that. Let's begin with when you first realized that you had some condition and in, in, in how it developed and how society did not help. And then in the mid-80s, of course, there was a recession. It really hit Ireland and the UK hard. And, and that almost became a depression, not only financially, but mental for the entire society. So I just want to set the stage. Yeah, this was kind of, um, this was back in the early 80s when I was born and I was, um, had a first seizure when I was about two years of age. Um, obviously, I don't remember that, but straight, right away I was put on medication and diagnosed that I had temporal lobe epilepsy. And um, you have to understand as well, there's no internet around back then. Technology wasn't advanced back then. There was nothing. There was just, you know, the church and... That was pretty much it. That was basically what ran the country back then. And we were facing a depression because of the recession that was hit. And kind of in the same situation we're in now on a global scale. But then um, after a while, like um, Britain started to take off and, you know, they were the monetary currency around the world. Then um, America took off after that. So, but during the depression of those years, like, um, it was mostly, basically the vulnerable were looked down at and they were seen as demonic, kind of like the devil, you know, the devil's kids. <laughs> that's the way the society was and that's the way the church demonized everyone who was had something wrong with them or if they weren't normal. Nobody was normal anyway. Everyone had some sort of condition. And that's the way the country kind of was ran. Now explain that because the Catholic Church at the time look down on people who had neurological conditions, right? Why is that? Well, if, you know, if you go back in history, like they used to think epilepsy was um, caused by the devil and, you know, they thought that it was caused by demons and demons were giving people these attacks. So I was even lived, I lived um, the first, I suppose, 15 to 20, nearly 20 years in that kind of a system where, that's the way we treated it. It didn't matter even if it was covered up. And even though I had normal friends and all that, it was still there. That stigma, you know, that's it's kind of like the the the, the homosexuals were kind of looked down at for so long. Same sort of a thing. And, you know, it's, I mean, in some ways, you know, you might think that's kind of a bit too far the other side, but that sort of a thing was still there, you know, in that Catholic one country at the time. And, and people... the funny thing is now, now, when you look now, like something like a mi- one million people, which is nearly twenty percent of the people here in Ireland, have some sort of a neurological condition. It's absolutely insane. One in five, almost. This is news to me. I mean, if you told me why is it that we have so much autism in the United States, I can more or less pinpoint based on the research some of the experts that I've interviewed have told me. But I did not know this about Ireland, the the neurological conditions that. Uh, that's plaguing your country. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, it has to have something to do with, I suppose, among the multinationals we have here. We've we've got over a thousand multinationals here in this country, like, and there's not even two hundred thousand multinationals in the world. So, we're a tiny population of five million and a thousand multinationals. Like, they're kind of um, 
you're kind of really taking over capitalism here, you know, and I think that they definitely have something to do with it, with whatever they're doing to the atmosphere. So you think this is the, the, the byproduct, and I'm reading here, almost 1,000 multinational companies have chosen Ireland as their strategic European base due to our pro-business environment and attractive taxation rates. Obviously, if industry is moving at, at such a pace, do you think it, this is the byproduct of their their industrial waste that's affecting you, the water, the air, etc.? I definitely think they have something to do with it because if you look at pollution, like what have they done to species around the world? So, I mean, they might, they might be bringing business here and they might be doing a lot of good for some people, but if you allow them to take over the country, you have to kind of question, well, are, are they really benefiting your country? Are they, are they still an asset or are they becoming a liability, you know? And then we have something called the HSE, which is the main health system here. And that's the biggest uh, employer here, which would employ like around 100,000. It's the biggest state employer, which would employ around 100,000 people. But if you look at the HSE, it's kind of like the NHS and same same thing in uh, Britain. Uh-huh. But if you look at the HSE or the NHS and you look who owns them, it's these massive pharmaceutical firms that actually own that system. They franchise it out to the governments. So like the likes of Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline, all these massive global chains, they really own that. But of course, it's a public entity, you know, the health services executive and funded by the general taxation of society. But you're saying that it's mostly the pharmaceutical companies who run it? Yeah, they run it like through the colleges and they run all the research through it and they franchise franchise it out to the government. I mean, and then you have these big massive fines that are just getting bigger and bigger every single year. Here now, for like five million people, they're running into around three to four hundred million almost every single year. For a small population, that's pretty huge. And that's like medical negligence, you know? By the way, I'm hearing some background noise. I'm not sure what it is, but just an FYI. And, and you say that the the neurological condition that you suffered, it was made more difficult uh, to live with it uh, in the in that part of the world because of society. Yeah, it was a stigma that it was like um, it was an evil and there was demons that I was possessed by and all this kind of stuff. And the science wasn't there at the time when I was growing up with it. Like an MRI scan wasn't available. Uh, EEG was barely available. There was absolutely nothing. There was nothing but really drugs. So I was really prescribed drugs throughout my whole life until I was around 35. So you feel like you, the, you were a guinea pig at one point? I wasn't. <laughs> The drugs pretty much caused the majority of my problems growing up, um, 95% of them. And even though I, I was telling, I, I woke up very early, like in my teens, that I knew something was, I knew it was the drugs they were doing, but the behavior problems were causing me to have these outbursts and temperamental episodes as if I was autistic, but I wasn't. I was just frustrated because of the torture I was getting from these drugs that was being put on. And uh, nobody was listening. So the church got the better of me there because I said, oh, he's demonized, Something, something's wrong with him. And I was telling the doctors and they weren't listening to me. But why were they not listening to me even when I was telling them? Because they get paid by the system, you know? Of course. And of course. Then you see, and then you see things like the opiate crisis and finally being exposed over there in the States with killing like 100,000 people a year. It's 
just insane. So this is a global thing. This, this is very much related to the opiate crisis, but and that is not just America; it's global. Of course, because this is the the single most profitable venture in the world to keep everyone sick. There's no there, there's no cures. Obviously, it's a practice, medical practice. They practice on individuals. It's 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 just the way it is. I mean, when I, when I see successful doctors all the time, I see oncologists, I want, really, I want to ask them. You know, I see all these people donating to the run for the cure or, or a cancer cure or, you know, marathons, give a dollar a mile or something along those lines. But really, if you asked a doctor who has a lavish lifestyle, what would you do if tomorrow the there was a cancer cure and you're your business would become irrelevant. Obviously, they don't want to hear that. And this is in the United States where it's, you know, we have the private medical industry. But in places like, like Ireland or, or the UK and, you know, most of Europe, which is all socialized, Canada, uh, Australia, as you say, it, it's, it's Marxism, it's communism. But you said you were treated as if you were a second or third class citizen, especially in high school. And I don't... I don't need to bring all these things that may trigger you again, but it's it's important for the story. But they used to call you Electric Eddie, correct? Well, yeah, um, yeah, I was treated pretty bad there, but I mean, I was well able to defend myself at the same time, so it was no, I wasn't any pushover. Like I was always fighting back against that, but it just shows like the cruelty that um, was um, able to happen in schools back then. You never get away with anything like that, no. <laughs> Nothing near it, <laughs> you know. Um, and yeah, I ended up, um, I ended up leaving the system. Actually, the education system. In the end, I just went out and learned how to make money myself. I was just, I didn't see anything. I didn't see myself learning anything in there, especially having a condition. And then, uh, how, what, what, what benefit is this going to be to me in the long run if I'm going to still have this, <laughs> you know? You, I said I'm, I'm already I'm I'm already living in the real world already, so I may, I may as well just go and work in it. You wanted dignity before sympathy. Pretty much, uh, dignity. Dignity was the main thing. I wasn't. I was never looking for sympathy. That's that's only going to drag you down even more. How many years did you go undiagnosed? Because, uh, as you said, epilepsy wasn't really labeled correctly until years later. Correct. Well, it was all by. Um, it was actually by mistake. I got I got diagnosed with the type I had. Um, there was a time where I used to go around um, making money in my teens and used to wash cars and windows and do all those things for people. And uh, it's pretty big actually. I, I, and I made a lot of money doing it. But there was one time I phoned up a local priest and asked him did he want anything done that weekend. He said no, but he was um, having a meeting about going to a place called Medjugorje. And uh, then he said, call, can he, he, then he kind of stalled and he said, I'll call you back actually in about 20 minutes. He called me back and he asked me, did I want to go there? Well, hold on, hold on. Let, let, let's not go to the Medjugorje in Bosnia until later, because a lot of things happened before that. You're, you're getting really ahead of me. I misstated. I didn't mean to say that epilepsy was discovered recently. It's, it's been around forever. And it was in the 1960s, I believe, when they started using anticonvulsing medication to treat it. But in your case, yeah. they hadn't properly diagnosed you. So from the moment you were a small child, 
till what age were they trying to find out what you had until they said, yes, he is epileptic? Well, they diagnosed me with it when I was about four, but they didn't have a type that I had. They knew there was so many different types, but they didn't know what type I was. But um, so I was, I was just really seen as someone with epilepsy, but they didn't know what type it was. Yeah, like the type I had wasn't really, they knew it was something to do with temporal lobe, but that was it. Like they didn't like, know exactly what type it was. Or it wasn't treat. It wasn't really treatable at the time. The only thing they could really do was um, just give me medication after medication, and uh, they were doing probably more harm than good. Really, if anything, I shouldn't have been on half of the things I was put on throughout my um, childhood. How early in life? How young were you when you were started no. the prescription medication? Um, well, it wouldn't have been medication when I started. It would have been like. Um, uh, spoonfuls of stuff, which I was only about two years of age. Two years of age. Okay. Yeah. And how did it progress? Because you eventually developed some kidney failure, but that didn't come until later, correct? That came from a virus that I caught um, called prelumbritis when I was detoxing from all the drugs, which took me about like nearly five years to do in total. And... Um, I didn't actually. I didn't actually know I was sick. I knew there was something wrong with me. I thought like I had to go away, kind of thing. You know, there was no, there was no warnings there of a kidney failure or anything like that. But um, I woke up one day in the hospital and they told me kidney failure and we need um, a new kidney. And you go on the transplant list. And they said no, I don't want one. Whatever, it's time to go. It's time to go. And they were able to reverse it with the antibiotic and a few dialysis treatments, and I totally recovered. But they said it was um, the medications that I was taking for so long that I was on so many of them that caused that virus to trigger off. You say that in Ireland, one in 110 people have epilepsy. How does that compare to the United States? Um, I think it's something like, is it 60 million altogether around the world? Something like that. It's pretty high enough. But uh, yeah, America's pretty big as well. Uh, lots of people in America have it. And the thing is, like, there are some things now. I mean, technologies came a long way, and there are some 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 parts which can be um, cured. Like you can, you know, you could have a tumor, you could have a tumor, or the tumor could be taken out, and then it goes away with the tumor, that kind of thing. And um, then there's a lot of a lot of people, elderly people, who are are only beginning to get it. Uh, that's, that's another thing that's starting to happen. People can figure out why people are getting when they're older rather than they're younger. You said you related to people who had to emigrate to other developed countries because of war or to have a better life. You felt the same in your own country. How so? Yeah, because that's the way the, the stigma is. When there's a stigma against you, you kind of know where you don't belong and where you, you know. How, how people left the country and probably never wanted to even come back because of the way society looked down at them. I mean, that's just the way it was back then. People were always looking down at one another. Nobody was ever perfect and everyone had something wrong with them. So and they all wanted to try and become perfect. And boy, I don't know. <laughs> But that's just, a, it's kind of like a poisonous, toxic. Again, I think that's Marxism again, toxic Marxism. So the people who are at war, you know, war 
torn country, uh, people who are experiencing a lot of corruption in government, and they feel like they can't move forward. They can't get any higher in life. They, they're stuck. And, you know, we understand that. And this is why they, they have this escape mentality from that. And this is why, you know, here in the United States, we have welcomed immigrants for, for centuries. But you and your own developed country, Ireland, you felt the same way. And again, I mentioned that in 1986, Ireland was experiencing a recession and most people were upset. Was society taking their anger on you because they were not happy on a societal basis? Well, I don't think it was just me. It was pretty much anyone who wasn't. Well, in general, I meant, yeah, people who, who had it. If you didn't yeah. like uh, they were the people to look down at, you know? Or even if you had too much money, yet, then you, you were looked down at as well. You just couldn't win. That was just, that was just the way the toxic kind of social social society was at the time. And, you know, everyone had to be up here. And no, no matter if you were good or bad, you always had something wrong with you. It was just poisonous. And the idea was, and and, and over time, then I said, well, I don't really want to be part of that society. Why would I? <laughs> They're like that. And they're looking down at you, you know? And right before you were going to to experience a, an epileptic seizure, you say you would see an aura, a vision of, of the ground starting to break up and a crack, and there was fire underneath. Do you think this imagination came from the Catholic upbringing? Maybe you were seeing, quote-unquote, hell? Um, well, I don't, I don't know because they all kind of changed over time. Depending what age I was, it was different. It was always different. And see the, the part of the brain they were triggered from was had all these. It is capable of hallucinations as well. But these are visions that you don't forget. Like even today, I still remember them clearly. So I don't know whether it was real, but it was definitely it was definitely other dimensions. I was able to connect to something, something that I can't do now. Like, but I was able to back then. And I had that problem in my brain. When you think the drugs and society cost more misery than the illness itself, but you say epilepsy is also known as the sacred disease. What do you mean by that? Well, if you look back at some people, um, you know, uh, I, a lot of heroes back in history had this, this, this thing likened. They were seen as gifted as well. Some of them became emperors. So... In that, in that way, um, as I think Einstein actually had a, a, some sort of a type of it as well. I'm not really so sure now about him. But, um, Wasn't it Julius Caesar who was epileptic? Julius Caesar, he had a jaw. Um, the only thing is they all died pretty young back then anyway, but even like, say, 35, 40 was, pretty, was a pretty good age back then for them today. So now tell me about your experience with Big Pharma. Um, well, it's mainly the the only, the only part I really I'm really explaining to people is the uh, the drug part, and that it's really nothing more than a cartel, and it's it's you're the product. You're the, they're not there to cure you. Well, you know, they might if you've been in the system for so long. I don't want to be giving people a false hope either. They're not that that the whole thing is just um your your faults. I do believe the technology is out there to cure many things and that the whole model has to be changed. It's kind of like it should be going to like um, where America and Russia were racing to space. They should be racing for cures. 
you know that's how the model should be made it needs to be broken down and to, to when when, it, when something needs to be broken down it's that big it needs to be first exposed so you can kind of like cut the cut the head off the snake at the top let the system fall and then rebuild it into a proper health system because it's really much the same as um the fossil fuel system where they're saying these fossil fuels are causing climate change, they're killing species, they're wrecking the atmosphere. That's all well and good, but the pharmaceutical drugs are doing exactly the same to us, inside us, and no one's questioning it. You know the foods we're eating, some of them are toxic. Most people know that, but nobody's questioning the drugs, and they're doing exactly the same thing. Well, I think this is a, a phenomenon that occurs worldwide. You have artificial scarcity. You have the De Beers family that hoards all the diamonds that put them in, you know, secret compartments so that the price of diamonds always is high. We have planned obsolescence. Now vehicles have chips and after a certain number of years, they start breaking down and they don't last more than, you know, same thing with appliances. And I would say, I would venture to say that it happens with human beings. They don't want us to live past a certain point. And if we do, well, you better start, uh, you know, getting sick and uh, using pharma. Yeah, no, you know, all treatments, no cures. What do you think? Well, if you look at the banking system, where it's a debt-based system, they want you to stay in debt so they can control your mortgage system so that it is a debt grip. Eventually, you might have, have it paid off by the time you're 60. But then after that, like, you fall into the health system, and then the health system takes a hold of everything you, you ever had back off you. So, I mean, it's just, it's a pure game of monopoly between the both of them, you know? One, one is for your, your assets, the other is for your health. And they're just, they're, they're too big, to, they're kind of these systems that are too big to fail, but they need to fail because they're causing way too much harm around the world now to do them. Yeah, and then sure. the alternatives built back up to make them better, better, better systems. I sometimes wonder if all these major transnational companies, if, were, if they were left to fail, yeah, it would have affected uh, the population for a little bit. But believe me, we can create something better. But you also say something interesting in your book. You say that women are having trouble getting pregnant and are becoming mothers much later than 20 or 30 years ago. And that's true. And thanks to feminism... This is another form of depopulation. I have to agree with that. But why don't you explain what you mean to those who may wonder what you mean? Well, um, part of that would be the education system. There, they were taken. They were taken out of the, the household because uh, this was through the Rockefeller Foundation again. And he realized, well, I can't tax half the population, so let's just get women out of the household, get them into colleges, tax the both of them, and call it equality. I know you have, um, well, obviously not all women, but we have modern women, we've got traditional women, but these modern women are being f deceived into the education system that that's more important than having family. And it just helps break down the system, break down the family unit. The state becomes a new parent. And it's happening all over the Western world, and I don't think it's really done, done a good thing. Women are less happy now than ever before. Well, women are being trained now. And I'm not saying all of them are trained now to, to be equal all the time and to hate men. Men are getting scared. They're going on their own. I mean, look at Japan. The birth rate of Japan is, is scary in the United States too. But men are getting scared and going on their own. 
Now they're training boys to be girls. So if that's not an agenda of the population, and it's right right in front of our faces and to destroy the nuclear family, nothing else will convince you. And and the problem today is as well, like when they destroy the, if 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 we let this continue, we stop breeding. What, where is all this manufacturing gonna gonna move to? Because you have many of these um, J- Japanese chains there now, and they're moving to other countries because they don't have enough people to st- to stay in their own country to continue the, manu- the level of manufacturing they do there. So and so. What's going to take Japan over? Is it going to be robots? Are we going to see? Is is that going to be the first stage of um, AI we're going to see there with manufacturing? Are we That's going to it. See, are, we going, are we going to see a slave sort of a Chinese system over there or what? That's it. AI AI will be taken over here in the United States. The the tr- truckers should be very concerned because with all these green new technology, and already utility companies are raising the alarm, saying that they can't they can't keep up with the electric demand that they're seeing with all the people who are buying electric cars. But going back to what I said about equality and women, I'm not saying that women shouldn't be equal. What I'm saying is that we will never be equal. Men will never be able to endure the pain a woman endures during childbirth. That's never going to change. Women have attributes that men do not have and vice versa. But here's a powerful statement you made in your book. Quote, doctors were considered very important people at these times, like gods, the most trusted people around in society, to be more precise. They were not trusted by me, as I already had experience from an industry that paid for their education and indoctrination, the pharmaceutical industry. And I felt I was it was orchestrated by whoever funds it and knew the effects of medications very well that the doctors were giving me. The doctors have much bigger egos, too, than the average people in society do, and are only general practitioners, not gods or saints, and especially not healers, end quote. Is this how you felt later in life, or did you just start suspecting this when you were really young? No, I knew this when I was very young. Like I said, I saw reach to the church when I was very young, but I knew that the system I was going through was similar. But it's like I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to elaborate as boss at the time, because I was only developing, you know? I knew something really bad was wrong. I didn't know how to elaborate on it. So this is born, this is before the internet, and yeah. How did you start your research about the medical mafia? Because that's what it is—a mafia. How did you discover the Rockefeller mafia? I mean, the foundation. Well, I had already known the system. I had already figured out that it was a pyramid system by the time I was pretty much young. Like um, the 2008 crash was really, I suppose that was the end game for me. Really, I predicted that in around 2004. I knew, I knew that uh, I, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I just knew that um, in a few years something global was going to happen, some sort of a crash. And all I did then was, when that happened, was I linked the financial system and my experience with the medical system together and. I just realized they're exactly the same system. I lived through one system, but I was able to walk through the other system, the financial system, but I didn't actually even understand the financial system till that crash in 2008, really. So that's, that was really like you link, you link to 
the systems together and you then you understand the kind of like how the algorithms work together, you know. And you also make a comparison that people that take drugs without researching the ingredients. It's like people in Europe who just go along with the EU project, but they never ask who is funding it and who's in control of it from the start. Is this the same as people who just take drugs and they don't even care about the ingredients? They don't even ask. No, I mean, it's it, it absolutely makes no sense. Like when you look at, uh, when you open a drug you're given, And you're taking it for one condition, but it has these 20 side effects that can cause. I mean, if I asked you to go out to the bookies and put down 200 euro to win back 10 euro, would you do it? I mean, that just, that's just absolutely ridiculous. But that's what you're doing, taking these drugs. You're taking a, a drug for one condition that's capable of causing 20 other conditions. It's just mind-blowing. And you consider side effects for medications a form of complete genocide. Now, to some people who who love big pharma, they might think that that is a bit of an extreme statement. What do you mean by that? Well, I suppose it mightn't it might, it might, um, be for everyone, but the effects you're taking, the effects of some drugs can be constant. They're like a bipolar effect. They're going constant from one mood swing to another as if there's something wrong with you. But it's the drugs that are doing this. It's like a cycle over and over again. And it's constant. And then you're on, then you're, then for this side effect, you're being put on another drug. And then for that side effect, you're being put on another drug. And eventually you're just a lab rat. And I don't think it's, it's very similar to the alcohol industry, except This industry is calling itself healthcare and it's getting away with poisoning kids. You know, it's different when you're drinking alcohol and you're an adult. That's your decision. This should all be your, also be your decision whether you want to take these drugs or not. But we live in a world where we're told we have to take these drugs for life or else we will die. And that shouldn't be allowed. Or well, these days, and I know you told me that you, you probably don't want to discuss the, the stinger. But these days we are coming to the point where some people cannot travel, sometimes even keep their livelihoods unless they submit themselves to something that has not been proven to, to help. In fact, more and more information is coming out that it is detrimental. And even in the UK today, I received some information that the, the health services has admitted that the stinger, and I, I have to use that term, colloquial term, because otherwise I'm censored, they have admitted that people who have gotten the two stingers will have a very difficult time overcoming any variant or any disease in the future because their immune system has been compromised. This is coming directly from the UK Health Services. What's your take on that? Well, the way I look at this is... Um... I look at the way they've, <laughs> they've fueled the opioid crisis. Like, if this has gone back like decades, this isn't only recently. It's only because it's only reached the mainstream media there recently. This has gone back like decades, 40 or 50 years. And the thing is, now they're being caught out with the, with the drugs they're doing to people. So that market is declining big time as people are trusting pharma less with their drugs. But the vaccine market is, is, is their next market. So it wouldn't surprise me if they go down, go down the same if they go down the same route with vaccines that they did with medicines. Because try to say try market. to say V and not use the term so that we're not censored. 
yeah, the the but it wouldn't surprise me if they do the same cycle, I should say, with 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 them that they do medications, because it is their new market. What do you mean? I'm I'm not following what you're saying. If they fuel the same sort of um, they fuel the same sort of um, marketing, I suppose would be the way. Uh, say, like they are marketing that you, you should take it, you know. Not, and then it comes, uh, you don't, well, well, they start by saying you don't have to take it. Then they said you should take it. And then it kind of comes, become, well, you have to take it. <laughs> That's kind of the way they're going with this new market. Well, of course, because it was on a voluntary basis before. And you went to a pharmacy every winter and you saw the little signs everywhere free flu shots voluntary but they realize that the more people learn the less they're getting revenue so they have to push it and the thing is who really rules over the government it's the same mafia the people that we elect are just following orders from them they're the ones who are calling the shots here in ireland in the uk euro uh, europe australia new zealand in, in fact New Zealand and the United States are the only two countries in the world that allow direct-to-consumer advertising. Nowhere in the world you see that. And it's constant as well. It's constant. The constant marketing. And then at the very, at the very, very end of each ad, they'll tell you what's, well, what it's capable of doing <laughs> as, a, as in yeah. a very, very low tone, so you won't really hear it. So the, the adver- that's, that's the other thing. Like The media today is absolutely horrific. I mean, when you look back at World War II, they were held responsible for what they, they allowed happen. They need to be held responsible today as well for the damage they're doing around the world. And it's, it's kind of psychological warfare they're causing in many parts of the world. And they, they should be, and, and I think it's only something like six, six media corporations control the majority of the world's media today. Right. Whereas in all. No, that is, that is true. It might be even less now. But the scary part is that There are six companies that control the media, but there are two companies that rule the world. They are the majority shareholders for the biggest transnational companies in the world, and they are, I've been saying it for a while now, and everybody knows it, BlackRock and Vanguard. If you take a look at all the companies, or or think about any company, any transnational company, and find out who the major shareholders are, you're always going to see BlackRock and Vanguard be number one and number two, the majority. Now, I wonder how many people find out that the third leading cause of death is medical errors. And that means over-prescribing, under-prescribing, or the interactions that certain drugs have that really poison and kill people. How many people do you think that know this fact, that the third leading cause of death in the United States, and I would suspect it's probably the same around the world, is medical errors? I would say very, very few. <laughs> and like even the World Health Organization admitted it there only um, was it 2019. They wrote an article where they said like something like 2.5 million people die from medic- medical error. And then you have another 5 million people die from surgical errors. So like that alone is nearly like, that's over 7.5 million people. So that's nearly close enough to what big tobacco is killing year around the world only that's about it that's that's by choice so this is what i mean like the same model big tobacco and the big health system are exactly the same model so just like big tobacco started poisoning people by addiction big farmers poisoning people by healthcare 
and there's nobody really talking about it to bring a whole bring the whole system down. It's too powerful. It's too powerful. They have too much they control, too much money. The lobbyists, I would venture to say that between Big Pharma and the energy lobby, I think Big Pharma's taken over. I mean, look what's happening with the oil industry now. The oil industry is making a lot of money, but the what they really want to do is replace it with uh, e-vehicles because what they really want is smart cities to keep everyone in a modern prison where you can't leave. I mean, think about what they want to do with the vehicles. They want to be able to shut them down. If you pass a certain geographical point or if you exceed the number of miles, they shut you down. It doesn't matter if it's hot in the desert in the middle of, of, of summer. They don't care. They, they want everybody to, to, to just be under control. And that's exactly my point. Why there can be a better health system. It, it can be it can, it can be reversed. It can be fixed. Because if they're going to be able to take down these fossil fuel companies and they have an alternative, then, then there is an alternative to healthcare as well. People can be cured. People can have hope that there is cures for many illnesses there are. Because that's the problem, you see, when you're in the, those conditions, when you have something wrong with you, you, you can't give up hope. You just have to believe in the system because you think someday you're going to get better. So, and the thing is, like, yeah, I've came out the other side. Very, very few do. But I, if, if, if I had my life, if I had to go through that again, I wouldn't. I, I'd never go through that. The system now, compared to the way the system was back then, it's way worse than it even was before. Well, your parents, Catholic parents, my parents, Catholic parents, I went through something not as severe as what you did, but this is one of the reasons why I do what I do, because I thought I was dying of Parkinson's and MS, and it just uh, found out through a very good doctor who had an open mind who told me, what's killing you is aspartame and monosodium glutamate. Stop it if you want to live. And I did. And I thought, how many other people don't have the luck that I had to find a doctor who told me that and are dying or, or suffering from, from many conditions because they think, well, that's just the cards that I was dealt and I have to live with it. How many women suffer miscarriages because of, you know, consuming the same thing. So, Again, well over 100,000 Americans are killed by prescription drugs each year in hospitals, and that's the same number of deaths that the whole Syrian war in five years, and half of the UK population is now under prescription drugs. In Ireland, over a million are on pills for anxiety and depression alone. Look, I understand. I mean, here in the United States, for example, Washington State is known as the, the place that has the, the highest incidence of suicide. I think there's a correlation between weather, the gloominess, the rain all the time, uh, maybe consumption of alcohol. What do you think is happening in Ireland and the UK that has so many people under depression and anxiety medication? Um, well, I would blame the media, the fear, and um, you know, um, everyone. Everyone wants to be the same, and this kind of like. Um, character assassination if you don't fit in by the media, by the media again and every it's just like and of course it's the health system as well it does we, we don't really pay for health healthcare well we can we can get private healthcare as well but um uh, but if you have social if you're in the social system like you're they're just dishing you out drugs for anything it doesn't no matter what you can just go into a doctor telling me you have this problem, that problem, and right away you're going to be given a prescription. Like it's like, it's just it's just ridiculous. 
and then people are getting hooked on them and they want more and more so it's just like it's a market pure market rack is all it is what was the occult deception um well i suppose that was related to new age that was, that was related to new age i kind of looked into new age and all that stuff when i was developing as well and um i didn't over time then more the more i was able to predict more the stuff that was predicted within the occult they saw it was just deception so i broke away from it so you joined the occult at one point is that what you're saying no, I didn't. I didn't join it. I only kind of uh, mess, experimented with it, really. But I knew people who did join it. But no, I never. I never really got, got big into it. I only experimented a little with it. Went to a few mediums and stuff like that. That's all I really ever I did. You went. You went to the White Witch, right? White Witch, and you know, somebody told you to go to the White Witch. Tell me over your experience and what did she tell you? Well, she wrote something down um, about an apparition, when, and I couldn't understand what was she on about. But then a couple of years later, like um, I did, that did come true. So it was just funny the way she was able to predict something that big that did happen later. What do you mean? What do you, I didn't understand you. I'm sorry. What did she predict? She said um, something about an operation that would make my life better later. And what was that operation? Um, well, the operation was later in, in the brain that cured what I had all along. So... Oh, I meant to ask you, what cured you? Do you consider yourself cured of epilepsy at this stage? I would, I would consider myself cured. They say there's no cure for it, but I would, I would consider myself cured because when I had surgery, um, I knew right away it was, it was gone. Whatever it did to me, when I woke up, I just knew it was gone. That was it. But then later, I came off all the drugs as well, and... The convulsions weren't coming back. So I said, well, there you go. So it's pretty much gone for good. I don't need treatment or anything. So it's so, over. So what do you think they did? In, I guess I did not get to this part in your book. What exactly did they do to you during the operation that you think that, that healed you? Well, it was an MRI scan that found the problem. It was um, They found a scar at the left side of my brain. They said it was it was by the temporal lobe, and they said this is what this is this could be likely. They didn't know now at the time, but when at the MRI, but they said like once they found something, they said this could be the problem. And then I had to go for loads of tests for a couple of years in the neurological pro, uh, hospital, and um, finally I was accepted for surgery, and um, they removed that. When they removed it, I knew it was gone. So it was that it was that it was that scar tissue in the brain by the temporal lobe that was triggering diseases all the way through my childhood. Is the scar tissue something that you were born with, or was it a trauma you fell, or what caused the the scarring? They have no idea. They said it could have been it could could have fell when I was very when I was a baby or something, or it just could have been there all along. But it usually would be would would usually you would have something like that caused by some sort of a traumatic event. And your parents don't remember if, you know, you fell or? No, I was, I've asked them loads of times when I was growing up, I said something happened. They said, no, they just said one day, one day when I was young, I just started having this convulsion and they just kept happening from there on. And look, I understand the parents want to do the best. I believe you, you mentioned how your mom always tried to do your best. My parents tried to do my best, did their best. A lot of times they just follow 
the established authority. They don't know. They, they think the doctor is saying this. The doctor has to be respected. They were the ones who went to medical school. And they do, they trust. But a lot of the parents that are coming out today who have access to the Internet and they're becoming their own truth warriors, they're questioning a lot of the medical practitioners. And medical practitioners hate that. If there's one thing that, that I've found that medical doctors hate the most now, and believe me, I used to be one of the ones who would say, whatever the doctor says goes, because I was totally, you know, in denial. I thought that they went to school for so many years, so you should follow. But after I was misdiagnosed so many times, I realized these people are human beings. A lot of them are general practitioners, and they don't know as much as they think they do. And we have the right to do our own research, and we have the right to become our own health advocate and question what they're telling us. And believe me, they step back. They step back a little bit, but they hate it. They hate it when you say, why is it that you're not giving my daughter, uh, uh, you know, this or that right now if she's, uh, uh, you know, has high fever or whatever? What's your take on that? Well, what I do now, like, is if I go to the doctor and he, he, he asked me, to, uh, maybe, maybe you should take this or that or whatever. I just, first thing I said, would you take it? Did you give it to your children? And that's what people need to do. They need to question the doctor. Would they take it? <laughs> that's right. You know? And you see, you see your own child, who's obviously with a high fever and dehydration, and you ask for fluids, for, for, for you know, fluids right now, an IV. And they say, no, it's not necessary. But you say, I still want it. And then the child gets better immediately and feels better. They just don't like to be challenged. They don't, and it's kind of very, very, it's kind of going back again to the church. If you if you look at the power the church had back then, I mean, these priests were seen as angels, and yes. we did the exact same thing them with doctors, and now look what we're seeing, what they caused. I mean, but to see the thing is, the thing about the doctors is, yeah, there's some bad doctors, but some good doctors, but they're stuck in the middle of the system. It's 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 a pyramid system. It's evil from the top down. You know, it's the people at the top who are the big, big companies that are profiting. It's a, it's a far profit system. That's what these, that's what Pfizer, Russell Klein, Johnson and Johnson. They're far profit companies, but they, they, that, that, that's what they're there for. Like that's what the model is. It always has been like that. And well, that's I think the biggest problem to also is the blind trust in authority, and this not only applies to doctors, but it also applies to, to say priests. And again, parents, especially mothers, they, they, they want their children to be, you know, behaving. And I can't tell you how many people write to me with experiences that they've had in churches when they were children. Some of them were raped. And they write to me, you know, I would tell my parents and they would say, no, no, father, this and that would never do that. Well, exactly. guess, folks, you need to question and you need to listen to your children. But if your children stay at somebody's you know, house overnight for a sleepover. And they come and they tell you, well, this happened at night, blah, blah, blah. Listen to them. Don't ignore them. Because if you do, then they're going to live with that scar and they're going to just have a trust issue for the rest of their life. And that's the thing. Why would kids lie? Kids kids don't know how to lie. They're only, they're only developing. Um, you know, they, they, they don't understand. They, they, of course, they can manipulate their parents. But why would they lie if they keep telling you the same thing over and over? You should listen to them. You know, what did you used to tell your parents when you were taking the, the medication? I ask you this because I, 
I've interviewed Gwen Olson. You don't know, you probably don't know who that is because, you know, she's from here, but she wrote a book called Confessions of an RX Drug Pusher. And she almost committed suicide because her niece, she was a, a big pharma sales rep, and her niece kept telling her, you know, Auntie Gwen, these depression pills are killing me. I feel like they have these spikes and like a hammer in my head. I can't take them anymore. And she would just stop. And the parents would push her to go again. And she says, if I have to go back to those things again, I don't know. I won't, I won't be able to survive. Well, guess what? She took a bottle of kerosene and burned herself to death. And the mother has had been telling her parents, you know, stop it. And that's when she left the pharmaceutical industry because she realized, you know, some of these prescription medications are killing the people, especially young children. And when they're telling you, please listen to them. How do you feel when, how do your parents react when you were telling them, this is killing me? Yeah, I've spoken to Gwen a few times, all right, and um, yeah. Oh, you have, uh, no. you have. Okay, great. Yeah, no, my, my, anytime I told them when I was, um, what they were doing to me, they weren't listening to me, and that was the, that was when I just said, I got to get out of here, I got to get out of home, and I got to move out of home. <laughs> I was about 15 years of age, because I just got to get out of this because people, I'm just banging my head against the wall here. So this is no good to me. And uh, yeah, so that's why I kind of learned how to make money as well. It was, it was, it was kind of a rusty move out of home because I wasn't being listened to. And uh, that's that's the problem. That's where we are now today as our kids. Kids just want to get out of home if they're not, if, they, if they're not integra- integrated properly with their parents and their parents aren't listening to them, you know? Your kid's not going to lie to you if they keep repeating the same thing question why are they telling me the same thing over and over again and the thing is like many of the some of the doctors that were um saying um the problem is you not him he's telling you that these aren't uh, these aren't uh, working with him and you're not listening to him so some of the doctors did know like um that some of the drugs did need to be changed and sometimes they don't know the combining certain drugs say you go to different specialists You go to a nephrologist because you have a kidney problem. And then you go to a neurologist because if you have epilepsy, they each prescribe something, but are they really asking each other and understanding what the, the interaction of those drugs are and the effects of that? Do they really know? Are they really experts in chemistry to know what they can do to you? I don't think they are because if you look, if I go back to my first GP, he was just uh, polluting me with these uh, medications and I was telling him what they were doing. He just wouldn't listen to me. He might change one and throw me on another, but then he just he would never t- take me off loads of them. And then when I went to the neurosurgeon, um, after surgery, I remember him saying to me, he says, stay on these drugs for life. But then later, they caused me to have kidney failure and the kidney specialist was going. It was the drugs that he was on for so long that caused him this. So I don't really, like, there you go, now there's three different types of GPs there going. So I don't know the they fully know what they're talking about at all. They're all in different departments. So with your kidneys, are you saying that you think the drugs were the ones that caused your kidney failure? Um, the kidney specialist told me they were. I asked them and I said, was it, was it all these drugs that I was on for so long to cause this? And he said, yeah, the name of the virus was Creedonbrayus. And he said, that's... That can be caused by detoxing from too many pharmaceutical drugs, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> See, that's the other thing. Sometimes you can't, you take 
medication for one thing, for one organ of your body, but it deteriorates another organ. It's like cholesterol. Some people just think that cholesterol is such a bad boogeyman. You need cholesterol in your brain. You need cholesterol in your, you know, when you take uh, statins, your, your muscles die. Watch your heart. What are your kidneys? And, and, and that's why people lose a lot of their IQ when they take cholesterol medication. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling you my opinion here. You can do your own research. But, you know, people don't understand that they take one medication and they're putting their whole life in jeopardy. And that's exactly what happened to you. Uh, yeah, and the other thing is during during this um, virus that I had, I had an, an indie easel, which I never even uh, experienced before that, but that was a pretty serious experience as well in NDE and they're a, a lot more common than people think as well. But during that NDE, like all those experiences that I had before, you know, when I was um, having those auras before the seizures, they, they kind of came back all in one at that time during the, during the NDE. But um, again, it was a different experience. Now tell, tell me more. Tell me more about that near-death experience. Explain how it happened and, and what do you see? Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store. For Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. Drove the night toward my home
Don't 